0: Welcome to the Coaching DNA Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Wyckoff. I'm also the founder of Kingdom Coaching, my consulting business in which I coach leaders. Before I introduce our guest, I want to share a quick note about a three-day Zoom course on self-awareness that I'm hosting starting October 1st. One of the biggest constraints in leadership is a lack of self-awareness. One study has shown that roughly 80% of leaders lack self-awareness. This creates a ton of issues for leaders like inconsistent behaviors, lack of confidence, coming across as inauthentic, and just something not comfortable in your own skin. To learn more, there's a link in the show notes. And uh, on to my guest. This is part three of my conversation with Rob Vaughn. Rob is the baseball coach at the University of Alabama. During part three of my conversation with Rob, we discussed creating an environment, doing hard things, Navigating parent relationships and much, much more. Rob is the real deal. Um, if you've heard the previous couple episodes with him, you will attest to it. Super smart, uh, bright young guy, really sharp guy. So, without further ado, my conversation with Rob Vaughn. How do you 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 talk about
1: environment? I love that 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 idea of environment. How do you how do you create? What are some things that you do? to create that environment in your program that you want.
2: Yeah, I I think you have to do it in college because I just think, you know, you have so many restrictions with time. You know, we're in our eight-hour week right now and only four hours of those are allowed to be baseball. So with countable activities, like I can have four hours of baseball activities a week. If I've got to go one-on-one and hold your hand for every ounce of that, we're just going to simply run out of time. But if we can kind of create the umbrella, teach the ideas and teach the stuff, those guys are naturally going to do stuff on their own. They're going to do stuff outside of that a lot of time because you've created that, that idea in the first team meeting, I showed them a three minute clip from the Tom Brady documentary. There was, I think it was episode three or four. It's called the edge. And in there, he's talking about how they call themselves edgers and they're going through that. And it's, man, you got to the training room at five 30. That's great. I got there at five. I, I got there 30 minutes ahead of you. I got the leg up on you. And that's their philosophy. So, That's what we try to create, and I think, I think when you do that, I think number one, you have to help them understand it's not about the results when you're in there. Yes, they're winning and losing matters. Like I will never be one of those guys. Like, hey, you tried today? No, no, no. We keep score for a reason. We compete every day for a reason. Like I believe part of my job here is teaching you to win and Mm -hmm. what it takes to win. I I'm not the guy that doesn't think that's a thing, but at the same time, I think you have to understand what leads to that and how do we get there? And so when we do it, man, like the number one part of our environment is it's really hard. And, you know, there's a, there's a guy, um, Trevor Reagan in his podcast, the learner lab, he talks about the zoo tiger versus jungle tiger, you know, and everything that goes into that. And, you know, the jungle tiger is protected and everything's easy and everything's handed to them. The zoo or the, or I'm sorry, Backwards, the jungle tigers in the wild. That guy's the one fighting for everything he's got. But at the end of the day, that's what we want to survive. Is we want to learn to survive in the jungle. So in our environment, everything is hard. Everything is difficult. And I want our guys to crave that. Like I want them to crave that. You know, I I looked up some stats. This one of Matt Shaw, who was a first rounder for us out at Maryland last year, was our shortstop. Playing with the Cubs, hitting 400 and Double A right now with the Cubs. And uh, Maddie loved hard. Like he would call me, he's like, Coach, let's do 27 ounces of practice today. My like, Maddie, we've done that 10 days in a row. Our guys are smoked. He's like, All right, let's do it. We need it. We need it. Like that guy just craved challenge and he loved it. even failing. Like he didn't care if it he loved that because he knew that was making him better. Mm. He's cut different, but that's the reason the guy's gonna be a big league all star, you know? And and that's what you're trying to create is them to fall in love with hard, fall in love with difficult because what I can tell you is really difficult is facing Paul Skeens on Friday night. Like no, no. you probably lose that matchup no matter what, just the reality the guys, a big league are pitching against kids. Like you're probably going to lose, but your only chance of not is if you're completely forged in the fire and yeah. you can take a punch and you can get up off the mat and you can outlast them and you can keep coming, keep coming. And then they make one mistake and opens the door and you walk through it. And That's what we talk about. Like our environment doesn't guarantee success, and that's the thing about baseball. It's hard. You can do everything right and still fail. You can do everything right and still lose. But our environment helps create the idea that you just keep coming, and they can't knock you up. And we can take a punch with the best of them. And yeah, three or four of us might get bloodied and bruised up, but the other three or four pick them up that day, and we find a way to win. And collectively, together, that's all that matters. And so that's what we we try to really do. It's built around. And I think with that. They have to know that we trust them. Like, man, we, we want you to get in this. We're trying to create this. We're trying to make you feel we love you. We You are not that. One of our biggest captains the other day, I go to him and I kind of pose the question to him and told him to decide what he wanted to do. And frankly, I hated the decision that he made, but we lived with it and we did it. And I pulled him aside afterwards in front of the – and I told the group like, hey, I was disappointed in this for X, Y, Z. I don't like this. I think we chose the easy way by doing this. And we're not going to be tough, gritty dudes by choosing the easy way. And then I pulled him aside later. And I'm like, you have to understand, just because I hated your decision in the moment, doesn't, doesn't mean I don't like you. Doesn't mean I don't think you're a captain. Doesn't mean I don't think you can lead. You've got to understand that sometimes I'm going to strongly dislike what you decide. But I trust you. And I believe in you. And this is your team. And I think when you can create that, you give them some room to to learn and to, to struggle and to fail and figure it out and get better and hopefully make a better decision the next time. But that's kind
1: of some of the stuff I would say that goes into it a little bit. Love it. Dude, that's really, really good. Okay. So I want to tie off or tie into that, the captains. What do you do leadership development wise? Do you do captains? Do you do a leadership council? Are they unofficial captains? What's that look like?
2: I've done every one of them along along the
1: course of the last few
2: years. Like I tried like the leadership council because, you know, the the head lacrosse coach of Maryland, John Tillman, one of the best lacrosse coaches, if not the best in the country. Tills does a leadership council and it worked really well for him. So I tried it one year. There's a book called The Captain's Class. I was going to walk through it with them and do all this. And I stunk at doing it. I didn't do a good job staying consistent with it. And if you're not consistent with it, it just doesn't matter. You got to just scrap it, move on, you know, and. So I tried that one year, like we've tried, like players voting on captains and everything in between. The one thing we kind of settled on a couple of years ago at Maryland, it started actually with Papio. When I was an assistant, we started this is we have three pillars of our program. So at Maryland, it was ownership, toughness and a growth mindset here at Alabama. It's ownership, toughness and grit. Those are the three things we talk about. So the number three in our program has become sacred because of that. Like that is like the number and we give that and we take everything into account from coaches to players to what, you know, what, what the group thinks. But number three is the captain of our team. Like it's an honor to wear number three and it's kind of become a thing. You look at it. Papio was the first one to wear it in our program at Maryland. The second one is now an army ranger down here stationed at Fort Benning as an elite special forces um, soldier, war number three, then, then the last three after that are all playing minor league baseball. Um, And it's not the best player. It's the guy that embodies those three pillars the most. It's the guy that when they watch him play, they're like, that's what it looks like to play at Alabama. If I want to play at Alabama, that's what it looks like, that all these former players that show up to the game look at number three and it's like, that guy represents everything that we believe in. And that's kind of how we've operated off that. I think so many times, like I think we we all get caught in in the in the definitions of it and this and that. Like, man, I I've had leaders that were self appoint that that we kind of appoint that do a terrible job of leading, and I've had guys that we don't give anything to that lead guys like crazy. Matt Shaw is a perfect example. Matt Shaw did not wear number three for us last year. Probably could have, but didn't wear number three for us last year. It was our catcher, Luke Schlegar, did, and there was times that. I think Matt Shaw probably was just as good of, if not a better leader at times. And and it wasn't about that for him. You know, I think too many times, like the captains, it's almost like you want the guy to be the captain that doesn't want to be the captain. Yes. You know what I mean? Like the one that wants to do it because it's a cool resume, or I can put it on my jersey or I can wear the number. That's like the last guy you want wearing. You want the guy that's like, nope, I'm just gonna do my thing. I'm just gonna do it. And it's very simple for us the way I I say with leaders is they set the standard and they uphold the standard, those two things. And I don't care if you're wearing number three, I don't care if you've got a C, I don't care what it is. Like if you set the standard for what it looks like and you hold others accountable to living up to that standard, you're a leader in in our book and we'll keep giving, giving that to you. So we've kind of ended up with one quote unquote captain every year. Um, and we haven't done it every year. There's been years we haven't given out the number three. Um, but, mm. but I have plenty of guys that, that don't wear that number. Don't wear the C don't have that. And, and that lead our guys really well.
1: Love it. How do you handle, or how have you navigated, um, parents? Who?
2: Very carefully. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's really hard because you want to, you want to have this relationship. And I think that's kind of the line you walk is in recruiting. You know, you're talking to mom and dad a lot. You're keeping them involved. Understandably, because outside of this, I mean, we're not a headcount sport in baseball, right? So you're asking families to invest hard-earned dollars into believing that you're going to take care of their kid. So I believe if they're going to be paying $30,000 a year at the University of Alabama, they have a say in having a conversation with me, you know? And so we've opened up that line. But what happens sometimes is that line then gets crossed of like, hey, I, I'm I'm open on their well-being I'm in. We're going to keep you in the loop on travel stuff in the spring, all this stuff. I had a dad call me one time that told me he he didn't think it was fair that his kid got picked last in this, in this competition we were doing. I said, man, I, I said, I get it. I know that stings. I know that's not a good feeling. Like you don't want to be picked last. But I would have picked him last, too, because he's just not there yet. doesn't mean he's not going to be great. Guy ended up being an awesome player for me at Maryland. He ended up having a great career. But as a freshman, he's just struggling. Yeah. And it's like you're having to navigate that. The one thing I've learned is I think I think you just have to be really good at setting boundaries. Mm-hmm. This is, man, this is the open door. If you, if you have any concern about mental health, physical health, anything that you are concerned with, here's my number. You call me at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm going to pick up the phone. If we're going to talk about roles, if we're going to talk about playing time, if we're going to talk about this, that or the other, your son's a big boy. It's time for him to come and talk to me. Yeah. And one thing we've tried to do is set those early. Right. Like so we the way we do it here for the most part is we'll bring all of our 2024 class in here in a couple of weeks for an official visit. We bring them all in together as many as can. Now, some will have football, some will miss some, maybe already come on an official, but all the ones that have not come on their official will come in together. And I'll sit them down in that moment. That's when that conversation happens. This is the expectation. This is what how we're going to operate in this thing. Because I think if you don't set that clear line and make it very clear, you you start to those sometimes the parents start to think they're your friend and they're gonna call and chat with you about the football game on Saturday and how how Jalen Mil- Milrow looked throwing the football. It's like, man, <laughs> that's not it. That's not it. We got to have a line of of expectation. But I think if you set that early, you're good. I think if you don't set that line, sometimes the best recruiters open up a really uncomfortable relationship.
1: Um, Outside coaches, hitting coaches, personal hitting coaches, personal pitching coaches. How do you navigate that with you guys? Here's your philosophy. Here's what you guys are trying to get accomplished. And yet I think most, most kids now have somebody they're working with back home or during the winter or whatever. How do you navigate that?
2: I think you just have to put your ego to the side because it's not about what I teach or what they teach. It's about that guy being good and that guy ringing the bell and showing up. And so <clears throat> we've done a lot in the past. And a lot of times, honestly, this would fall on, you know, Swope last year, Pap this year. But, like, just have a conversation with them. It's not a it's not a this, that, or the other. It's like I think both of you are on the same page of we want X athlete to be successful. We may be getting there different ways, but let's at least talk about that. Like, hey, what are you doing that's working? because I think if you approach it that way like hey what do I need to know what have you done with this athlete that's helped him and then I think when you start with that little bit of humility it kind of breaks down that barrier you know yeah. of you're an idiot what are you doing you're you're not teaching the right thing like you if you approach it by asking some questions and kind of leaning into them a little bit I think they're very willing to work alongside you and so we've done that like hey what do we what are we missing here? What what have you done that helps this athlete be really good? Because I think you're, we're foolish to think those kids aren't going home and hitting or pitching or doing whatever. But I think you just have that open line of communication. I think if you can tear the walls down at the beginning and you both get to it, honestly, unless you're on the far end of the spectrum, you're probably not far off in what you're teaching. You might be just using different lingo or different this or that. Um, and like I said, I think if you start that conversation the right way, you end up, getting to some pretty good places where they're either willing to kind of adopt some of the stuff you're doing, or you can kind of plug that in. And that's, I don't say that as a manipulating thing, just as a, I think, I think that's the biggest thing you see it in politics. You see it in religion. You see it in all these things. You see people just like yeah. do this because they just want to yell at this person and yell at this person and at, versus if you walk in with some humility of like, Hey, talk to me, man, where are you coming from there? What works? What have you seen? you've worked with this guy longer than I have, what, what what drills have worked and you're willing to incorporate that, you almost tear that wall down to, to get to real conversation that probably ends up being productive at the end of the day.
1: Great, love it. Yeah, it's a simple way to win influence a little bit there. No, no. Starting, yeah, very good. Okay, I end uh, with three questions. The first one is, uh, what are you currently reading or listening to? You might be a podcaster, not a reader, but uh, I've seen the book, so I'm assuming a reader. What are you currently reading that's kind of keeping you sharp?
2: I've kind of circled back to this, you know, and I, I feel like I read this book once a year. Um, but um it takes what it takes is the one I've kind of diving into right now, Trevor Moad, you know, and and uh, you know, I didn't I was never fortunate enough to meet Trevor before he passed a couple of years ago, but um read it takes what it takes, just kind of was drawn to the name and mm. Afar and watch Saban and heard him kind of use that thing. And then when you dive in, you actually learn kind of where some of that is coming from and um message him on Twitter out of the day. I'm not a big social media guy, but I sent him a thing like very simply like, Hey, just want you to know that book really affected me and my coaching. Thanks for all you do. Simple as that, not expect anything back. I get a message back from Trevor five minutes later, like, hey, I know Coach Locks, blah, blah, blah. It's our football coach in Maryland and all these things. And um, just a really neat really neat interaction with him and obviously very very sad story losing losing him to cancer a couple of years ago but um kind of going back through that book and in the the details of it I it's it's one of the best things man it's one of the best ones I've ever read so just kind of diving back through that now
1: love it yeah okay uh second question what advice would you give a young person just getting started in the coaching profession
2: two, two pieces. Number one, Tony Vitello told me this one time I was, I was, I think I was shoot. I think it was at Maryland as an assistant. I had a job off from an SEC school and, and was talking to him. And I talked to Tony and, you know, Tony recruited me out of high school too, when he was at Missouri. So known Tony for a long time. And um, he's like, Rob, don't ever chase the money. He's like, the money will find you. Don't chase it. You chase the money. You're going to be in a bad situation. And Hmm. there's two jobs that I got offered that probably would have doubled my salary at the time, passed on both of them. One head coach was let go six months later. The other one was let go a year later. You know, so my career could have been in a very different place had I chased that. But number two, this was a piece of advice Sean McCain gave me when I started as a volunteer. is like, your job is to make everybody else's job around you easier. Like whatever you can do to take stuff off their plate, like do it. Don't be, we all have the people that are like, yeah, man, anything you ask them to do, they'll do it. But you need to take it a step further, like just do it without asking, go figure out things to do that stems back from my mom telling me back when I was a kid, like, go outside and play. I'm like, well, mom, TRL's on TV at MTV at three. All I want to do is watch the music video. She's like, I don't even care. Go outside. I don't even care what you do. Go find something to do. Um, But that's kind of like find a way to make the people's job around you easier and don't wait for them to ask like. Find out how they want it done and go do it. I've got a young kid here. He's a he's a graduate manager for us. This comes from Old Miss. Guy's gonna take my job one day. I mean, he's an absolute superstar and it's doing everything before you ask it. You show him how to do it one time and he's it's done. He figures things out without you having to go hold his hand to do it. Guy's gonna be an absolute superstar.
1: Love it. And last, and I'll end with this. Um, who would you love to hear? walk through their journey, um, talk about their leadership, talk about how they build culture. Yeah, who would you like to hear all things leadership?
2: I mean, there's there's two guys that come to mind, you know, um, one of which is I've I referenced quite a few times for this conversation is Andy Sawyers. I mean, that guy is, he's my guy. I mean, he is, like I'm not doing what I'm doing without him. Um, the second one who is kind of the guy to my guy that I think would be, it's just a powerful story for people that haven't heard it is Matt Deggs, you know, in going from the mountaintop to the absolute basement and out of baseball to getting a chance at redemption and, and, and finding a w- his way through this. And that guy, this is, I, I've said this about Deggs for years, like Deggs incredibly creative. He's a great man. He's walked through some really challenging times and come out on the other side of it um but man i tell you what like that guy could convince you my shirt and this is why I, I told my sister like, this is his biggest skill set they he could tell you my shirt's purple not only would you be like oh yeah sure it's purple but you would fight anybody that tried to tell you it wasn't like that's <laughs> it is unbelievable how good he is so much of what i do in coaching shoot i've got a, i've got his books right back behind me he wrote a book 15 to 28 that's powerful and it's his journey of it's raw it's real it's authentic and if you if you spend any time around degs that's who he is like he ain't changing who he is i mean he's authentically himself but his journey is so powerful and he's such an unbelievable leader of young Mm men um and somebody i'm really proud to know and and i you know i i've heard his journey and i know him pretty intimately well but any, that's one of those guys that anytime he talks at any convention, any, anything I'm in, I'm listening. And I've heard it probably 50
1: times and
2: I'm never not tuning into it.
1: Love it, dude. Thanks so much. Um, yeah, I Rick Keller had Rick Keller head coach at university of Iowa. I asked him mm-hmm. that same question. Hey, who would you want to hear? And dude, he was, he was raving about you. And so now I can see why I appreciate it, dude. Great stuff, really well articulated. As I was looking at your bio and just kind of prepping for for this interview, I'm like, "Dang, he's young," and <laughs> really coaching at a high level. And uh, honestly, I mean this. I can see I can see where why you're why you're having success just in our little hour ish here. So, dude, I appreciate
0: you taking time.
2: Heck yeah, Travis! I appreciate what you're doing, man. This is awesome. I enjoyed it.